Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so good to be back with you again uh, today. I was out last week, and thankfully we are blessed with some talented, talented people uh, here at this congregation. I had every intention in preaching last Sunday and waited to the last minute and just couldn't do it. And thankfully Larry um, stepped in for me and did a fantastic job. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and I want to begin with a question, a question for all of us to think about. Maybe it's a question you've thought about before. What would you do if you only had 24 hours to live? And just think about that for a moment. It's it's an intriguing question. I, I think everyone probably has an opinion on this question. We all have some sort of idea of what we would do if we had a limited amount of time left to live. And this is a question that's asked frequently. We see it pop up on social media from time to time. I Googled it in preparation for this sermon, and the Internet just returns all kinds of answers. It's all over the place. And the answers that people give are quite revealing. When you look at it, there are not many unique answers. And so what you see is you see the same answers given over and over again. So what would people do if they only had 24 hours left to live? Here are some of the top answers that are given. I would eat whatever I want to eat. I would spend a lot of money. I would just you know, go out and use the credit card. I don't have to pay it off, and so I just buy whatever I wanted. I would get revenge. I would tell someone off. I would break the law. You wouldn't have to pay the consequences. I would spend time with family. Or I would go somewhere special. I would go to the beach or some uh, destination. And you can think about those and see if any of those match your list of what you would do if you had only 24 hours left to live. And in some ways, this is sort of a fun question that that gets people talking. You know, it could be used as an icebreaker among a group of people. However, it's also a question that reveals our deepest desires. And so how we answer this question, it says something about who we are, and it says something about what we want out of life. Now, consider this. Jesus knew when his life was going to end. He knew that he was going to die. His days were limited. And think about this. What did Jesus choose to do on his last day on this earth? We know because the Bible records it for us. And and, and here's what it records. Actually, John 13, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, you can look there. John 13, 1 through 11. Here's what Jesus did on his last 24 hours. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he knew he was going to die tomorrow. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. 
During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Okay, so with less than 24 hours to live, Jesus chooses to wash feet. And this was a radical act of service. Jesus was performing a task that would typically be performed by a servant, but not just any servant. In some circles, Jewish, Jewish servants were not allowed to wash feet because it was seen as being beneath them. And so you had to be a foreign-born servant in order to wash feet. Brendan Byrne, in his commentary on John, he offers this piece of data. He says, there is in fact no parallel in extant ancient literature for a person of superior status voluntarily washing the feet of an inferior. And so what he says here is that nowhere in the ancient world do we have an example of a superior willingly choosing to wash the feet of someone who is inferior in status. We just don't have any example of this at all. Because to do so would have been shocking. It would have gone against all social norms. And so what Jesus does here in John chapter 13, it's much more than a nice gesture. He's not simply just taking out the trash or, hey, let me wipe down those tables. He's not doing something like this. He is radically serving the people around him by doing something that they would have been unwilling to do themselves. And he's taking the form, not just of a servant, but of the lowest of low servants, the lowest servant you can imagine, to address the needs of the people in the room. And so with less than 24 hours left to live, Jesus is not thinking of himself. He's thinking of others. He's not thinking, what all can I do before I die? He's thinking, what can I do to encourage others to live more faithfully? Jesus does not use his last 24 hours 
on earth to indulge in hedonistic pleasures. He uses those hours to make a difference. He uses them to leave a mark on 12 individuals who will go on to change the world. Now, when we consider the the answers to questions like, what would you do if you only had 24 hours left to live? It, It reveals something not only about ourselves, it reveals something about the culture in which we live. We live in this me-centered culture. We live in a very materialistic culture. We want to indulge our desires. And, And the answers to this question have not changed much in the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They've remained the same. We live in a culture that is not shaped by Jesus as much as we'd like to believe. Putting a a Jesus label on things is different than actually desiring and wanting to live like Jesus. We can call something Christian, but that does not make it Christian. What Jesus does in John chapter 13 is he offers an alternative to the hedonism that, that we find in our own society. What is at stake here is more than do whatever we want to do versus a life of service. It is a life lacking in meaning or substance versus a life of purpose. It is a a life that, that offers little or no contribution to humanity versus a life that is rooted in Christ. And so the choice here is we can act like a creature, we can just go out and do whatever we want, or we can act like God. And what we choose to do with our life matters, even if it's the last 24 hours. At the end of his life, Jesus, he institutes two practices, and then he instructs us to continue in both of these practices. One of them we know quite well. It's the meal that we just partook of. It's the Lord's Supper. And and this is something, as we know, we do not miss. We come together every first day of the week to do what Jesus commanded us to do. It's a very important part of who we are and, and what we're about as a people. We are defined by this meal, and rightly so. This is what Jesus desires. But we must not forget that the Lord's Supper is it's not the only act that Jesus institutes on the night before he dies. He also institutes this act of service. And notice what Jesus says after he washes the disciples' feet. So he washes the disciples' feet, he does this, and this is what he says to him afterwards. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
And so Jesus gives the same instructions for serving here that he does for the Lord's Supper. You need to do this. You need to continue in these things. He wants us to follow in his footsteps. We are to imitate this example. And we understand it when it comes to the Lord's Supper. We do it every week. We understand that it's not something that we're just going to do on special occasions or we're just going to do it at certain times of the year. We're to regularly engage in this practice. Now, my question is this. Why don't we treat this command to serve in the same way? Shouldn't we be expected to serve regularly? Isn't this a mark of faithfulness just like uh, participating in the Lord's Supper is? Shouldn't the, the people around us, the people in our community, see us regularly gather to serve just as they see us regularly gather to share a meal? And the answer to all those questions is yes. God expects service to be a regular part of our life. And if it's not, then we're not obeying God. Now, what Jesus is teaching us in John 13 is how to live our lives and not just the last 24 hours of them. He's teaching us how to live our lives at all times. We are to be a people who think of others. We are to be a people who serve. Why? Because this is how Jesus lived his life. I want you to pay attention to something. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul briefly describes the life of Jesus. Now think about this. There's a lot to a life. There are many hours, many days within a life. And, and, and Paul here is not just describing any life. He's describing the life of Jesus. There's, you know, if you, you can consider who he is, you can consider what he taught, you can consider uh, where he traveled and who he healed. There is much to a person, uh, and, and, and when that person is Jesus, there's much there that you could say about a life. But notice how Paul sums up the life of Jesus. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What did Jesus do? What was his life about? Well, he was always thinking of others. And he served. What Jesus does in John chapter 13 is not a one-time thing. It's how he lived his life. He was always sacrificing, always serving, always thinking of others. And notice here in Philippians 2 how again... We are expected to live this way. The passage begins by stating, you, you Christians, have this mind among yourselves. Think this way. And this is just like in John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then he says, I, I did this so you would know what to do, so you would know how to live. 
And so living this way is not an option. It is core to the gospel. It is what we must do if we're going to follow Jesus. And living this way means that we're going to have to trust God. We're going to have to trust that God knows best. Why? Because this way of living is not our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to do whatever we want to do. It is to live however I want to live. No limits whatsoever. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I choose to do. It's to indulge in whatever we want to indulge in with 24 hours left to live on this earth. Look at how people answer the question. Because how they answer it, that's what comes natural. But that's not what's going to save a life. That's not going to bring meaning or purpose to what it is we're doing. What it is, is a waste. It's what the writer of Ecclesiastes calls a vapor. It's meaningless. You can do it, but don't think it's going to bring you happiness in the end. But what does bring us meaning and fulfillment and joy is following the way of Jesus. But we're going to have to trust him because you know, we're going to want to do all these other things. C.S. Lewis understood this. His most famous book outside of the Chronicles of Narnia was a book entitled Mere Christianity. And this book originated as a series of radio talks that was given on the, the BBC in the early 1940s during the middle of World War II. And Lewis, as he was giving these talks, he was not speaking to a religious audience. He was speaking to a secular culture. Imagine someone interrupting our Netflix stream every night at 7.45 to give a brief talk on spiritual matters. This is essentially what Lewis is doing. And those listening to him would not have been favorable to the message that he was presenting. But he makes the case for Christianity, and he makes it quite well. And at the end of his book, which would have been the, the, the end of his series of talks, uh, he, he offers an invitation. Now think about that for a minute. What kind of invitation might a person give to a secular audience who has little or no interest in spiritual matters. One might think, well, let's just make it as easy as possible. Tell them something like, just accept Jesus in your heart, and that's all you need to do. Simple enough. The, the problem is that's not the invitation that Jesus gives us. It's not what Jesus tells us to do. Here's the invitation that Lewis gives to his audience. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. 
Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have, not give away, will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. In a culture that says, with my last 24 hours, I will do whatever I want. I will indulge every desire. I will not hold back. I will live how I want to live to hell with everyone else. I'm only going to think of myself. In a culture like that, weak Christianity is meaningless. It will not convert anyone. It will not save anyone. Accepting Jesus into your heart is meaningless. What is needed is truth. And if you want to find yourself, then you need to die. You need to put to death all the silly games and all the trivial pursuits and follow Jesus. And that's your only hope. And either you're willing to do that or you're not. And that same invitation applies to us today. Jesus has shown us what we need to do. He has told us how we are to live. It's not difficult to understand. He took the form of a servant, washed his disciples' feet, and then said, do this. There's nothing to interpret there. Nothing to argue about. Either we follow Jesus or we don't. It's as simple as that. So what's your answer? If you had 24 hours left on earth, what are you going to do? Better yet, what are you going to do today? And tomorrow? And the next day? And for the rest of your life? Because how you answer matters. Are you going to choose Jesus or choose something else? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word that points us to Jesus and points us how we are to live our life. That reveals to us how we are to have a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of joy, a life that goes beyond the shallowness that we often see in this world. Father, I pray that we would embrace Jesus, that we would embrace his call to die to ourselves. And that we would pick up our cross and that we would follow him daily. 
be with us as we strive to do this in our lives, as we strive to be a light in the darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please.